So welcome to the latest episode of the Nickel City Soundtrack Podcast. I'm Mark. Chris. And who are we here with? Uh, it's Kari Waits, man. Straight from Buffalo. Live so, from the MFTA bus station. So um, real. Are you at a bus station? Yeah, I'm at the I'm at the bus station downtown. Amazing. Oh. <laughs> so yesterday I'm at work, right? And uh, yeah. th- this guy rolls in with this gigantic poster, and he's like, "Can you scan this for me?" And it's just like it's like twenty four by like seventy, and it's a bunch of handwriting, like a bunch of people's names on it with uh with uh like phone numbers and shit, and your name was on it, and I guess oh, that, word. that was a thing you guys signed to unionize. Yeah. So what ended up happening? Uh, we linked up with Workers United who helped organize the union for spot coffee uh, a couple years prior. Yeah. And I was initially working out in East Amherst when I first started working with Starbucks. Yeah. And then I transferred to the store over on Delaware and Chippewa. And right around that transfer process is when, you know, we as like the Buffalo partners decided to, you know, really get this union campaign going. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as my transfer was like done, like that's when the campaign started. The store on Elmwood was the very first store to like officially put in the paperwork to unionize and collected the cards, yeah. submitted all the signatures. Um, and I can honestly say I was really proud of the work that me and everyone else did and the fact that we were able to snowball it across the country um i was upset with the fact that the tactics that corporate used were too effective in pushing out people like me and other union organizers in the area Mm -hmm. you know they they made our lives hell man they cut our hours to the point where like people couldn't pay their bills. People couldn't survive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was like, you can't, and it, it was, it was direct retaliation. Everybody knows it. The NLRB knows it. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. they got, uh, who was that law firm? Littler Mendelssohn. Yeah. They, they were, they lawyered up with Littler Mendelssohn who like, they're basically like the Pinkertons of the modern era. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's serious. So, okay, so um for who for those well, so you worked at Starbucks and you were one of, you were part of one of the first Starbucks to unionize, which is cool. And it's cool yeah. that I came across this thing like yesterday. And this guy, the guy I brought in, I guess he's working on a some sort of like documentary about it. Oh wow. So I don't know I don't know anything else other than that, but just be aware that's being worked on. So you, you may cool. get a phone call about a, about something or other or something, but anyway. Let's get back to the interview. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. All right, Chris, where are we starting here? Uh, I guess uh what was the what was the moment when you decided that like hardcore punk oi, whatever it is, that this is this is this is this is what's talking to you. This is where your life is going. 
Like, what was it like? Record show band? Like, what was it? So, I remember my mom used to tell me that when I was a little kid, uh, the the two songs that I liked the most were uh, "Epic" by Faith No More and "Give It Away" by Red Hot Chili Peppers. So that kind of music was always like what I gravitated towards. Um, I would say what really solidified my love of of like hardcore. I would say it was honestly it was listening to Bad Brains. I ain't gonna front. Like, and I remember I only got exposed to Bad Brains because I had a POD CD when I was a kid, and there's a track on there with HR. Yeah, really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. so on the on the CD Alive from POD, uh, without John, nothing is the is the song, and HR is on there going absolutely bonkers like it was great yeah they talk about like they've they've talked about in interviews about hr showing up to the recording wearing like a cape with a bird cage and a staff like just like all of the things you would expect from that time hr (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) very cool that's awesome so yeah that was definitely like the the moment where i was like this is definitely the music that I love, you know, I, I definitely like was a part of a lot of different scenes. Like I had a, an era where like I was heavy into drum and bass and heavy into rap. And, you know, in high school I was more of a metal kid, but, uh, the headbangers ball compilations, specifically the Josta era comps would have like E-Town concrete and hate breed on it. Mm. And like, it was crazy to me. Cause like, mm. I didn't have the language to say, oh, this is hardcore music. You know what I mean? I kind of thought it was like less sophisticated metal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it was heavy, but it wasn't technical. Yeah. And that disconnect, it didn't really like make sense to me because I only knew punk as like, you know, the casualties and like no effects. Mm-hmm. Like I knew punk. And I knew metal, but the the crossover didn't really like click until way later. And it was funny because the first hardcore show I went to in Buffalo, it was like Able Danger and Rhinoceros at Mohawk. Oh. Hmm. And like it was funny to me because I wasn't straight edge back then, so like I didn't totally get like everything about it. Like I loved Able Danger at the time, but when Rhinoceros came on, I was just like I didn't get it, you know, and then yeah. it wasn't until I was, I would say, I was actually a lot older, like a lot of folks, you know, they, they get into the hardcore when they're like, you know, 12, 13, but like, I didn't get into like capital H hardcore until I was like 25, Wow, you know, and like, cause again, I was on the periphery of it, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. lived at punk houses and I went to punk shows, I knew hardcore existed but i knew metalcore existed mm-hmm. but like i was on the periphery of it you know what i mean yeah yeah so yeah but 25 was a was a turning point age for me uh 
you know, dealing with substance abuse issues and dealing with uh, the breakup of a girlfriend at the time and all of that just kind of was like, all right, I need to make a change in my life and get my head on straight and kind of, you know, clear out the cobwebs a bit. So I shaved my head and I started being straight edge and coming up on 10 years later. And here we are. So you said you shaved your head. So, yeah. So, I mean, do you consider yourself to be a skinhead? 100%. Yeah. As generous. What's up? So from when, from the moment you shaved down to now or like, how do you, yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, so the, the, the straight edge and skinhead shit kind of like coincided for me. It was like, cause again, I knew of the existence of these things, but I never, to be told, I was kind of scared to like run around being like, yeah, I'm a skinhead. Yeah. I'm a skinhead. Cause it's like one, I had long hair back in the day. You know what I mean? So I was listening to reggae. So I knew about the existence of like early ska music and stuff. Like my family's, my mother's family's Caribbean. So like, that's something that like has always been around. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, how can I find a way to kind of resolve all these seemingly different parts of myself? You know what I mean? Where it's like, how do I, how do I move through the world and present myself in the most authentic and cohesive way? You know, Mm -hmm. and I also thought about like, what kind of example do I want to be for people younger than me who are looking for guidance? Like I, in in a a weird way, like I wanted to like turn myself into the older mentor I wish I had Mm -hmm. when I was coming up. Cause like, I'm an only child, you know, I did a lot of research and doing stuff on my own kind of floundering around like i had a i won't say a sheltered childhood but definitely like very regimented i wasn't like wilding out in high school like Mm -hmm. i didn't start like wilding out until i was in college and so you know when you and when you're in college the the social environment at my school specifically i was at oberlin for like two years like there weren't hardcore wasn't a thing in like rural Ohio. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I was close to Cleveland, but I didn't have a car, you know? Right. So I was kind of like hard scrabbling, trying to figure stuff out on my own. You know, like I met a lot of metalheads. Uh, yeah. One, one of my favorite bands from that time, it was this cover band on campus. They covered, uh, they were Misfits cover band called Kennedy Shattered Head. That band was sweet. <laughs> you know, and then you had uh this really sick death metal band called Goat Sucker. Like I still remember that band. But yeah, long story short, uh yeah, straight edge and skinhead, like it it made sense to me because I was like I was tired of being a bum. Like mm-hmm. I was tired of looking scruffy. I was tired of like just being drunk every day, not really going anywhere. And I was just like if I shave my head and start dressing nice, 
I might be able to like get a stable job, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. but I still wanted to have that connection to subculture. And I'm like, skinhead's the only subculture that like encourages you to like mind what you wear and dress nice and get a job. Like, it's not it's not cool yeah. to be an unemployed skinhead, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. True. So yeah, man, that's it's, it's... that's been the <coughs> now I'm bald with a tattoo on my head, but <laughs> it, it feels good. It feels right. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So like um so you you were a skinhead. Like when you first like declared or you know or you know labeled yourself that was there much of a scene here in buffalo as far as that not at all not at all yeah so like um so like so did you i guess you you like you traveled to a lot of shows correct yeah i try to yeah i feel like you went to a lot of places to kind of so did you feel you had to like go to different places to kind of get that whole scene feel as far as like skinhead and stuff uh yeah so the first the first skins that i met outside of buffalo were in syracuse mm-hmm. uh shout out to spd or sp yeah those initials yeah, right punks, punks drunks and <laughs> yeah it's like the the syracuse punks drunks and skinheads oh, yeah, yeah. S- spds yeah those like jamie and tau from the war lovers you know they kind of really helped to be like all right cool and then from there um you know met people just online the online skinhead shit has kind of been a double-edged sword um you know linked up with the folks from american sharp and like really just kind of expanded from there you know and it's been it's been kind of heartwarming to see like more and more younger folks like getting into skinhead shit and like getting into oi and like mm-hmm. not really coming through with like stupid racist shit because it's like the the generation of kids that were were around like they know what's up mm-hmm. and they just want to they want to look hard you know they want to you know have some fun with it and look sharp and look pulled together stand mm-hmm. out because people forget that like skinhead's like the old one of the <laughs> oldest musical subcultures man like people have been doing this shit since like the 60s mm-hmm. you know and like it's stuck around which is like impressive like punk is it was around before punk it was around mm-hmm. before metal yeah. It was around before rave culture. Like it was around before the hippies. Like. Uh, rave isn't really a culture. Like, well, let's let's, <laughs> let's not okay. I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you, Chris. Like having having been through like the real underground era of it, mm-hmm. the the EDM fucking Electric Daisy Carnival, whatever the fuck bullshit they're doing now, is so disconnected from like authentic rave culture, and it mm-hmm. makes me sick. Because it's like, it's like, it's the most like meaningless, vapid shit ever. Like mm-hmm. it stands for nothing. The music sucks. The people are annoying. Like, I hate it. <laughs> so I, 
I never fucked with rave anything because straight edge, whatever. And yeah. also that, that was never my thing, but maybe you can answer this. What's the difference between rave and industrial? So industrial music is a, a often misused term. So like the original industrial music, it has a lot more in common with like noise. It's a very experimental and almost unlistenable music. Uh, <laughs> the first two artists that come to mind would be like Throbbing Gristle and like Eisterzende Neubauten. Mm -hmm. And like, it's really just like very navel gazy, very academic level music. Like, it's not fun to listen to true industrial music. Mm -hmm. um, what most people know of as industrial, that's kind of like industrial rock a la you know, Rammstein or like, uh, ministry, uh, that's kind of, and that got really popular in like, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, it was in the soundtrack to every edgy horror action movie. Uh, it also overlapped with what they called electronic body music which was like, you know, very popular with the ravers that were goth back in the day, you know, mm -hmm. the folks with like the big platform boots and the and the synthetic dreadlocks and shit like yeah. I my young when I was when I was like a teenager, I thought it looked cool cuz it was like futuristic and edgy. Uh and then I realized that like I didn't want to like spend all that time putting on all that shit <laughs> <laughs> like i was not like i wanted to like i still have there's i still had those trip pants you know what i mean the big fucking parachute oh, yeah. pants with the zippers and shit i had those you know but like it's a it's a lot of work and i'm just not i'm not goth like that so mm -hmm. yeah i i got i got out of it real quick <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, it's, I, 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 I never fucked with Rave. I have been to a few industrial shows like KMFDM and stuff like that. Yeah, and I yeah, yeah. dabbled with like Skinny Puppy and Download and some of that other stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I, before anybody like who's listening to screams like poser or whatever, I do know the difference. I was just curious other yeah. perspectives. And and it only made me think of it because uh Nick Barron was a huge he was industrial slash possibly rave guy. Like okay. one of the only one of the only who would go to like industrial shows and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was always just interesting to me. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, let's talk about uh, picking up an instrument. What? Oh what, man. Let's let's talk about. It. So so, do you play? What do you play? Like you play guitar? <clears throat> yeah, I play guitar. Uh, I play bass. I play drums. Yeah. Uh, I used to, so the the journey of picking up instruments. Um, when I was a kid, I really wanted to play guitar. My mom was like, no you have to learn piano first. Yeah. And so 
I, I suffered through piano. Um, I was blessed <laughs> to take music lessons at the Colored Musicians Club when I was nice. a kid. Um, I actually took lessons under Al Tinney for a, a brief period of time, you know, RIP to the goat. But um, me being a stupid kid, I was like, I didn't want to learn how to read music. That's like my, my fatal, my fatal flaw. I didn't want to read music. Mm-hmm. And what I used to do was like, I would read just enough of the music to like play the piece at practice. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so I'd go to my lesson, I'd play the piece and the one day I had a different teacher and he stopped me and he was like, you're not reading the music. And I'm like, but I'm playing it. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm, I'm playing the, the piece. I'm playing it, you know? And yeah. he was trying to force me to sight read. Mind you, I was a mm-hmm. kid and it stopped being fun. So I quit playing piano. Uh, then fast forward to high school. Um, I, I wanted to be in music again but i couldn't play snare drum in school so i had to settle for the alto sax so i played the alto sax briefly um but i wasn't really good at it and it was really awkward i had braces so like (laughs) it was like cutting up my lips and shit like it was it was it was terrible um but then i picked up guitar I fucked around with it because my best friend at the time he was playing guitar so i want you know you want to do what your best friend's doing mm-hmm. uh he got so good and i he got like way better than me i didn't um then i kind of dropped off of playing guitar um in high school i discovered fruity loops and started you know messing around with that trying to make beats and stuff and it was actually pretty good um so then by the time I graduated high school and I was in college, uh, I had started trying to DJ and make beats and like do all that kind of stuff. Um, the very first band that I was in uh, at Oberlin was called Dos Mil Dias de Fuego. And I was the DJ in this band. It was like a rap rock funk band. It was pretty sick. And I was like scratching and making beats and stuff. Like it was it was sick. It was sick. I actually was digging through my stuff when I was moving the one time and I found the old demo CD we had, like it was lit. Uh, and then during that time I picked up a bass and was like, you know, teach myself how to play bass a little bit. Um, then the, the coolest thing I did, I tried doing this like experimental electronic music course at Oberlin uh learning how to do like what was that program max msp where like you take like a photo and then you like take the data from the photo and like try to generate sound profiles from that um i was like going with like a field recorder and just like sampling random noises from around campus trying to like make these experimental compositions like Mm-hmm. It was it was a pretty good experience. Um, I got to play with this really sick analog synthesizer. Like the joints were like, you have to plug in the different wires to the different you know zones on the thing, and like the only like keyboard was like a telephone, like an old school telephone button thing, and like 
they had like tone generators and shit it was really sick um so i did that and then i ended up moving back to buffalo and was bopping around for a bit uh linked up with my buddy felix and our late homie russell and we started like a pop like a power pop band like it was called it was called forever emily uh we played a couple shows it was sick uh during that time i uh like it was all right i was still kind of unstable like financially emotionally mentally whatever uh ended up leaving that band and that's when i started rapping seriously and then i was rapping around just hanging at house parties like drinking 40s and spitting rhymes and like mm-hmm. and like and people were like yo like you could freestyle pretty good like you should like actually like try and so i was like all right bet you know and like i and i, I wrote poetry and stuff so i was like okay like let me let me do that let me see how that goes and i did that for a couple years um and it was right up until i was about 25 that i was doing that and that that age of 25 again like it was it was a very uh big turning point because it's like and i've i've seen it happen to a lot of folks where it's like you you sometimes you end up buying into your own hype you know what i mean and like you start turning into like a cartoon character almost where it's like when you're always getting fucked up and you're always at parties and every day is a party and like you're not really prioritizing like you know real life shit you know it it can take a toll on you and it can get it can get the best of you like real quick and so I had, a, I had a choice to make. I was like, if I'm if I'm still fucking around doing this after the age of 25, like, I'm not going to be going nowhere. I'm going to be that guy, you know what I mean, who's like, who's like pushing 30, still like getting fucked up at the house party every weekend. Like, that's not, that's not real, like, that's not real life, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's real I'm, easy to <laughs> fall into that. Yeah, it's real easy to fall into that. I mean, it's good that you saw that at like an early yeah. age because there are people who like don't learn that lesson into their forties, yeah. you know, or later. Yeah, even the fifth I'm, level. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm convinced, man, that like whatever you're doing at 25 is gonna like set the tone for like the rest of your life, you know. And mm-hmm. so I had to, so like for me, it was like straight edge and skinhead like it got me on the straight and narrow in a lot of ways because it's like i still was able to maintain my connection to counterculture and subculture and be like you can look at me and be like yo this guy is not a regular you know normie guy i mean he's Mm -hmm. not he's not just some schmuck who's all uptight you know but at the same time it's like, but if you know, then you know that like, I'm about your this guy's about his shit, you know. And it's like that's how I wanted to present myself to the mm. world, and like that's that's how I'm doing it. And then, uh, shout out to to the boys in Holdout because Ty and Alex they were the they were the first dudes that I played hardcore with in Buffalo. 
which it was funny because when I was at the practice spot up at the music mall, so I was initially at the music mall trying to audition for some other band. Like it was like some really shitty metalcore band that like isn't around anymore. And I was trying to audition to play bass with them. And I had a really bad experience, like just hanging out with those guys. And so I said, fuck them. And I saw the posting that the dudes from what was going to be on point. Uh, this is because this is coming off the tail of source tale of source of relapse. Right. And they're like, yo, we're trying to find a singer for a new hardcore band. So I like, I saw their, the, the ad, I wrote the number down, called them <clears throat> and went in audition and then on point really like kind of blew the doors open for me anyway like that's how i met everybody in the scene in buffalo uh that's how we got to go play you know rochester syracuse the highlight of that was we got to play with agnostic front in queens which was sick that's cool okay yeah yeah that was like that was like the highlight of that band but uh the the side effect of of being straight edge was that you know the the un the unresolved mental shit that i was dealing with uh it didn't i didn't realize how hard it was going to hit me not having that chemical crutch and mm-hmm. uh there was a, a period of time where my mental health was like wildly unstable and you know i I couldn't function and i'm I'm really transparent about it you know because it's like at this point it's like i have nothing to hide behind you know i have no i have no like no filter about it you know there's no real uh shame because it's like i'll never forget man it was uh you know the the double whammies of like losing homies and then you know not being able to really cope yourself and then you know end up checking myself in to the facility the first time you know then going through therapy and taking antidepressants yada 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 while trying to juggle a job you know what i mean and then i uh, i think the the biggest blow that kind of like kind of threw me off is uh the the last time when the first incarnation of holdout was supposed to play at the firm and no one, nobody knew where I was, you know? And unfortunately I was in there because I did try to kill myself and I got picked up by the, the ambulance and cops came to my house. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. And in that moment I was really embarrassed because I was like, damn, like I really let myself get the best of myself and but at the same time it kind of reinforced like yo like people really do give a shit about me and like i gotta really put in more work to keep myself functional so that i can be there for other people the way they're there for me you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so it's a it's been a journey it's been it's been a ride and i can say beyond a shadow of a doubt like hardcore is what keeps me focused and alive and i'm just trying to make sure that i keep giving as much as i can back to it because 
really this this is this is the one of the most special subcultures that has ever existed because it hinges on authenticity mm-hmm. you know what i mean it it's like yeah there's there's some people who try to front and they try to like act a certain way to be like oh i'm hardcore and because i'm hardcore i do xyz but it's like but everybody knows when you're bullshit and you know it's like you get you get these bands of kids from the cul-de-sac and they got the graffiti font t-shirt design <laughs> you know they're they're like they're 25 and fully blasted i said this is this i, I stand by this if you are under the age of 25 and you're fully covered in tattoos i know you have rich parents <laughs> right because wow, think, of, think, think about you it could, or you have a friend who tattoos and all of your tattoos are trash <laughs> oh, i don't trust anybody who doesn't have at least one shitty tattoo and i agree with that and i've been saying that for decades but someone who has a bodysuit of shitty tattoos don't trust that motherfucker either yeah that's that's a little that's a little like you gotta it's, it's levels to it you know you gotta yeah <laughs> but yeah man it's like because you think about it how many years between 18 and 25 are there right yeah I mean, and what kind of job like- I'm I'm at probably arguably eighty five to ninety percent body coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also fifty four. Yeah. yeah, you know, like you had- it, it took me a long time to get here. And yeah. did I want to get tattooed all the time? Yeah. Did I have the money to? No. <laughs> unless there's unless unless you are a tattooer or you mm-hmm. actively sell drugs, that's it. Right. Right. If you're a dude, if you're a dude who's heavily tattooed and you're young, you either sell drugs or do tattoos. If you're a woman that's heavily tattooed under 25, you either like do hair or (laughs) you you might be a stripper. Mm. You know, like, but there's there's just there's a certain amount of money that you have to accumulate in a short period of time. Yes, you have to have money or a particular resource to get heavily covered, and that particular resource is not always conducive to the struggle. No, not at all. What just happened there? Did you see confetti. that? There's confetti. There's confetti. Was con- there was confetti on y- in your screen for some reason. It's like it was like a mic drop. Time? It was like a mic drop. Maybe because you said something. Maybe you said something to trigger. It. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of funny. Though. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so I don't I don't have any tattoos. So let me ask this question real quick. So sure, let's say how much, like how much is a tattoo? It like, depends on <sighs> it depends on who you go to. Let's say how big it is. I don't know. Let's say I want a tattoo to cover my shoulder. How much would that cost? What what are you Uh, talking about shoulder? Where are you talking about? I don't know. Are you saying like... Let's say a five by five tattoo. Does it matter where you you get it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Where where you're pointing, Chris. Chris is pointing to his like... Five by five. So (laughs) again, it depends. It depends on the complexity of the design. It depends on the skill of the tattooer. It depends on if they're an apprentice or not. Uh, it depends on if you're a homie or not. Like, there's so <laughs> many, there's so many variables. Like, 
there's some people that are dog shit tattooers that would charge you a thousand dollars okay for some shit like that and, and to be honest 70 percent of the people who are going to charge you a thousand dollars are dog shit tattooers right and then you've got or some people they, who... they tattoo celebrities and celebrities do not live in the real world and don't actually know who a good tattooer is, but they can get tattooed by this person and that person is gouging them because they're a celebrity. Yeah. And then they start charging higher those ridiculous rates because they tattooed celebrity X. Yeah. So yep. a, a, and I don't mean to jump on this, but you know, tattoos, <laughs> if you are going to go and get like your first tattoo mark. Yeah. There in Buffalo, there are certain people I would point you to. You know those people; they would take care of you. But yeah. if you were just Mark Nobody walking in off the street with no tattoos, <laughs> you should have at least three hundred dollars in your pocket. Okay. Um, though tattoos in Buffalo don't necessarily cost that. Yeah. But first tattoo, so they're looking at you like a tourist. <laughs> you know, you know, like you should have three hundred dollars in your pocket. Well, it didn't happen hey. anyway, so it's just hypothetical. <laughs> you know how much I paid for my first tattoo? How much? A ham Thirty sandwich. bucks. <laughs> Thirty bucks. So, I, I, my first one. It may have been around there. Yeah, well, that was nineteen seventy-three, uh, man. <laughs> first professional tattoo, Dead Ed Walker, dude, yeah. still kicking around. Yeah. Uh, I it was probably somewhere around there, but you got to remember in like 89, 30 bucks is a lot of fucking money. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're making three dollars an hour. <laughs> I, paid, I paid $30 when I was 21, so that was like about what 14 years ago, mm-hmm. something like do, that. Do we want to know who and what? Like, who did uh, it? Yeah, so all right, so I went to Cowpoke on Elmwood, yeah, and uh, Mike Dudick had a get we get machine. Yeah, and so I I pulled the thing out of the get what you get machine, and <laughs> it was thirty bucks. Nice. And then my dumbass went back a couple weeks later and got another one because <laughs> yeah, I was broke. Was... I was broke, Dude. and I was just like, "Yo, I just want to get some tattoos." <laughs> yeah, but shout out Mike Dudick. He did a jammer on me that I love. Yeah, Dudick, uh, Dudick, he... doing my straight edge tattoo. Yeah, he did one of my straight edge tattoos. I have like a uh, X Rock of Ages on my wrist. Nice, um, nice. He doesn't get talked about enough when it comes to Buffalo tattooing. No, he, he, he's he, the, like he's 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 great, and he's like that guy outside the box that nobody really talks about. Yeah, because the thing about yeah, it, dude. the thing about it, you don't, he doesn't have to like. He's one of those like craftsmen when it comes to tattoos, where it's like. His shit's so like sound, like it's so mm-hmm. like technically sound, and like it, it there's there doesn't have to be any pomp and circumstance behind it. Yeah, because and he really he just, really doesn't social media that much anymore. Doesn't have to. Doesn't have and, to. And that's not to take away. And I'm not taking away from you know Eric Foster, Jay Galvin, Eric from Blue yeah. Heel, like you know Broski. I'm not like taking away from any of them. I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't think that people give Dudek his due. No, that's, Maybe I'm wrong. I, can, I can see that. Uh, I can see that. Interesting. It's like, tattoo talk. <laughs> no, it's, it's fucking tattoo talk for the next hour. <laughs> <Buckle up. laughs> 
Yeah, it's not that's not my thing. You know, oh, I've never been a tattoo person. So <laughs> that's cool though. You, you, there's only like I feel like there's probably only a handful of people in hardcore who don't have tattoos. I'm one of them. You're <laughs> one of them. Mike DeJean is one of them. Oh, Mike DeJean has uh, no tattoos? He has no tattoos. Nice. Even even Craig Ahead has a tattoo. Yeah. Like, it, it, there's like, if there's more than 20 people in hardcore over the age of 18 who don't have a tattoo, I, I would be surprised. Uh, me. <laughs> so, let's over switch. the age of 18 and under the age of 65. <laughs> okay, so let's switch gears here a little bit. So, sure. that, last night when I was on, uh, we interviewed someone else last night for the podcast, and this is part of our, our February, like our February theme-ish type thing. So, I mean, I know, like, you know, I'm into, you know, hardcore and stuff, and I know the people in my family do not understand what the fuck I'm listening to. How do people in your family, like, what is their reaction to the music you listen to? Not, not only not only that, I'm sorry to interrupt, but not yeah. only that, what was their reaction to you coming out of Skinhead? That, I feel, um, is a bigger question. So, it's funny. Like, my... I am, I'm an only... Like I said, I'm an only child, so my parents don't really... Uh, they don't really have a lot of input on what I'm doing. They've always known that I was into loud guitar music forever. Um, they just kind of have accepted that that's what I'm into. Uh, when I'm in the car, my mom will ask me to like turn it down or turn it off. That's just like, it gives me a headache. <laughs> so I, out of, out of kindness and love, I try not to play loud guitar music in the car with my mom. Uh, with the skinhead stuff, I don't think she really has a frame of reference for it like she doesn't really understand it necessarily uh i had a book about the skinhead history and she was just like and she read it actually mm-hmm. and she was like oh okay like this is what you're into okay mm-hmm. and uh i think what made it uh more easy for her to digest because is that she she knows reggae music so for her it's like oh like they're into reggae too. Okay. And now that like, I, you know, dressed the part a lot of the time. She's like, when did you start dressing nice? <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, she's like, you used to, you used to not care about how you looked. And now <clears throat> I see you and you're, you're always dressed up nice. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my, my, my family doesn't really, uh, they don't really care. Like uh-huh. it was, it was actually really nice. Uh, so my cousin and his mother, uh, they actually came to one of my shows when I was in New York because they live in New York. Mm-hmm. And so when we played when we played New York, they came out, which I was really happy that they got to see me in my element. So like, yeah. that was cool. But cool. yeah, I most of most of the weirdness or weird reactions I got were from like people not related to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. because even at work, like you know, like um, certain people in the in the scene come in, like to shop at my at my place of employment, 
and you know they're skinheads and people and like people don't understand that like skinheads like racism and skinheads isn't like one and the same like they do not right. even even in 2023 they don't understand that that's not that's not yeah those things don't, it, aren't equal it's also though a lot of people a lot of for lack of a better term civilians yeah don't have they rarely have interaction with subcultures unless it's a family member. Sure. So their only interaction with with such things are TV, movies, media, yeah. news. Nine yeah. times out of ten, unless it's something like uh this is England, um, the the portrayal of skinheads is gonna be Nazi. Yeah. Right. And, and, and HBO and does their like Nazi skinhead documentaries and they're showing like fucking hillbillies in the woods. <laughs> right. You know, like, they, they don't, they don't. So then you have people who are flying the skinhead flag, rightfully mm. so, but they get mislabeled because people yeah. don't know or understand. Like I was wearing. I have one of those uh, crucified skin necklaces. Yeah, I got one too. Yeah, I mean, I was fucking skinhead a lifetime ago. Yeah, and I was wearing it, and somebody that I work with, who I've known for a few years now, uh, he was like, "Oh, I didn't know you were religious like that." Mm -hmm. They're like, "Oh, it's not. It's like it's a crucified skinhead thing," and he was like, "Oh, I didn't know you were like that," and looked at me different. So I had to explain the whole thing to him. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and he was like, Oh, I didn't know that. And I'm like, Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I know people people have I've I've gotten some comments from folks about uh my war zone tattoo and I was just like, Y'all really like have no frame of reference, y'all have never listened to it. Like mm-hmm. and, and the thing about it is like all the all the people that I've known Essians that like I've like leaned on weren't white like Mm -hmm. i know more i know more non-white skinheads than i do white skinheads like Mm -hmm. it's it's at this point it's just like y'all can be stuck in the 90s if you want because if if you really were that worried about like racist action in the world you would know that like all those white supremacist leaders actively told their constituents to stop dressing like skinheads because they yeah. were getting, you know what I mean? And they've, and they've yeah. been was drawing attention and they're also like, yeah. you need to be able to infiltrate the government and these other sources. Yeah. They all, like, they did the worst, the worst white supremacists are the most regular looking people yeah. ever. Yeah. That's their yeah. thing. That's their thing now. So it's just like, yeah. I'm kind of glad that, uh, the, the younger kids especially are like, making it more diverse um i just kind of wish that other young kids because I, I see i see some of the the people on the internet still bringing up the shoelace shit and like yeah they're like don't wear this color laces in your boots because that means you're a white supremacist and i'm just like so 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna speak on that because being a older and be around when lace code meant something yeah so Lace code may not mean anything in the subculture currently, but lace code does mean something to Joe Civilian Googling skinheads shoelaces. Right. 
So you have people wearing, and I know a lot of people like Vinny Stigma, a lot of people wear white laces. Yeah. But when Joe Civilian Googles that, he sees, oh, that's white pride. That dude's racist. So in the right. subculture, lace code may not mean anything, but in the world, it absolutely means shit. Right. Huh. And then and then it's like what ends up happening online when like these when these non-participants will see that the first thing that happens is that like every black skidhead is like posting their boots like what are you talking white about laces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know it's yeah. like like please please stop you know it's yeah. it's exhausting but like but to me like that's that's part of the crucified part of it where it's like it is but but again lace code absolutely meant something at one time yes it 100 percent did it absolutely I, I meant something and it's still and and in some parts of europe they still abide by it. Like I, yeah. I concede, I concede all those facts. And in spite of that, cause I'm not, I'm not suited and booted 24 seven. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a, I'm a style guy above everything. Cause that's the most skinhead thing to do is to be extra style conscious. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I, I think that it's important to not cosplay a dude straight out of the East End in 1969. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. You don't got to do that. Like, you got to kind of dress in a way that like reflects where you're at. Mm -hmm. In in a sense, where it's like you gotta you gotta. It's like citing citing your sources. That's the way I look at it. Where it's like you 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 buy the shit you buy to let the people that know know what's up and if the other people are put off by it like to me that means that my clothes are doing their job like if yeah. people walk if people walk across the street and like avoid me and they don't want like they get get a little scared or antsy like that's the yeah. point like like don't yeah like, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the homies to discover stay pressed and brutus they you know, don't, don't like, make yeah, Brutus anymore. Up. They don't make them anymore. Uh, you can still get it though. You just got to know where to look. Yeah, I know they stopped making them. And like again, when it comes to the the, the state press <laughs> pants, and when it comes to the state press pants and the Brutus shirts, like that has done me wonders working in IT because yeah. my because all my clothes are business casual. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep, like yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah like desk 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 skins are real like if i had a dollar <laughs> for every dude look, look, if i had a dollar for every skinhead i know that works in it yeah <laughs> it's I, it's i didn't crazy. realize that was a thing that's kind of crazy so um you know that band 45 adapters yeah yeah so their singer gerard he's in it uh the mm. homie adam is a developer like who knew it's like there's, there's it's either it's either you're it's either you're a you're a skinhead mm. in a sweater who works at a desk or you're a skinhead who works in construction or some shit right i mean i it and things like that are kind of the working class of the day like the working class of the age yeah you know it's 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 a different kind of labor but it, you know it's it's the rules are kind of the same in my mind yeah you still work hourly 
you're mm-hmm. still fixing shit that other people don't want to fix. Yeah. It's just the tech, the technology and times are like different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's always funny. Like, um, when people were trying to be street punk bands and singing about unions and then somebody pulls out their union card and be like, yo, show your union cards. And the whole crowd's looking at their feet. You hate to see <laughs> it. You hate, you hate to see, to see it. it. I'm glad that things have become a little, I don't want to say truer or more real, but that's kind of what I'm saying. No, I get it. Like you gotta, you gotta be authentic. Like, like I said earlier, like if you're, if you're coming from the cul-de-sac, like, <laughs> don't try to be street, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. okay. It's okay to not be that, you know, you don't need to be posing with a fucking pit bull on a chain. Right. It's it's okay to understand that your trap is different. Yeah. Like we're all, we're all in a trap. That's part of trying to get out of a trap. That's part of the reason why we're involved in the things we're involved in. But like, it's okay to, to, to admit it's a different trap. doesn't mean it's not a trap. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't think Nose was going this way, but it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's all it's, good. It's how these, sometimes these things gotta like, you know, you gotta you gotta walk the road where it goes. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. So let's get. I mean, let's let's get back on track. So sure. we've been on track, son. What are you talking about? <laughs> so what? So you're currently in um, you're currently in Kill Uncle. But what other bands yeah. have you been in? Uh, so, okay, so the first band I was in was Dos Mil Dias de Fuego. Mm. Shout out to the homie Gray. Uh, That's a then, lot of name. Yeah, it was that was Gray's idea. That was Gray's idea. Um, after that was, after that was Forever El- Emily. Then after Forever Emily, the next band what? I was in. I, I was, gotta ask. I'm sorry. I gotta ask. Why Forever Emily? Uh, Emily was a dog that our late homie Russell used to own, and okay. the dog the dog Emily died, so it was in memory of her. Um, okay. Yeah that that's what that was the first question everyone used to ask: Who's Emily? Yeah. Yeah, like why Emily? But that's that's sweet. Yeah. So and then after Forever Emily was on point, uh, I did a brief stint in Bastard, Bastard, Bastard. Um, I think we play. I think you were in the band when I think Black X played with you at uh, at the Sugar uh, City. Sugar City, yeah, you were in. More than likely, yeah. yeah. Uh, then after Bastard, 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 uh, I did Disrepair. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were and then what happened, what happened after- to Disrepair? Like what? What happened to that band? Uh, you guys were happened- around, then you were just gone. <laughs> so again. I'm I'm putting the blame solely on my unstable mental state and I quit and then in the after me quitting it kind of caused like a vacuum as far as like personnel and they weren't able to hold it together um mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's kind of what happened with that. I'm still super proud of those records that we made because yeah. they fucking slam. Uh, at some point in time, I want to revisit that style of music because I feel like there's a lot of un 
unrealized potential within that style. Yeah. Um, after disrepair, um, we did did pinned. Well, no, I mean, I, I tried doing holdout. Yeah. And then I still wasn't all together for that. Uh, we did pinned. Play guitar for that. And then currently doing Kill Uncle. Mm -hmm. um, I have a couple things that I'm trying to set in motion in the next year or two. Uh, just like unrealized projects I still want to do, you know, I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to do a straight edge band. Um, that's proving to be <laughs> a little bit more challenging than <laughs> yeah. I would like, Yeah. but, uh, I'm, I'm putting some feelers out, not getting too ahead of myself with it. Um, I have another hardcore band that I'm working on where I'm doing vocals again. I gotta start doing jumping jacks. <laughs> <laughs> years years of desk jockey work have rendered me a little out of shape. So yeah. I gotta... it can be rough. Like I you know, like me doing my job, it's a physical job, but I'm generally running stages, so I'm kind of just making sure things are getting done versus doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I can tell I'm not in the shape I was when I was actually doing it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So I can imagine like having a desk job. Yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's it's different. I'll I'll say that you know it's different, but uh, I'm I'm just I'm gonna just like take it slow and like kind of modify my approach to things, you know, because it's like I'm about to be 35 this year. Like I don't I don't gotta keep up with the young kids like i go to a show i might dance for like half a song but i don't i don't have anybody to impress i don't need to be trying to keep up with these kids in the pit man like i'm i'm in that era now i'm like i'm turning into an elder statesman like you yeah, see jumping off shit <laughs> 35 you are still young don't Definitely. don't don't get caught up in the number I if the if the music moved me, I hit that pit up until fifty three, fifty two, somewhere around yeah. there. It was stupid. I, mean, I also have some. I also but have like, some health issues I gotta contend with too. Like uh, many people don't know this story, but uh, when I was fourteen, I had uh, cysts growing in my spinal column, and I was paralyzed for like about a year. Couldn't walk for mm. shit. I mm -hmm. uh, went. Went and had like three extensive surgeries. I got rods and screws holding my shit together and I'm able to walk, which I'm eternally grateful for. Uh, but after 20 years of that, uh, I started developing arthritis in my spine. So I'm like, all right, yeah. I'm, I'm waking up and I'm feeling it. So I feel like I'm in my forties, <laughs> but like, you know, so I, I tell everybody though, like when it comes to this mosh and shit, you got to mosh within your weight class. You got to. You got to. Because, like, because you, you'll see people that are, like, way too little to be moving the way they're moving. Yeah. Or you got people who overestimate their athletic ability. Yeah. And then that they end up getting really hurt. That happens a lot. Like, I know a guy 
who I'm pretty sure he's in his 30s, maybe late 30s, but he broke his leg. And I'm Ooh. thinking, like, how the fuck did you do that? Mm-hmm. And and I know, like, I know uh, Andy Williams broke his leg. Like, if I remember correctly, it was like a spiral fracture. Mm-hmm. You remember that, Mark? Back in the day? Yeah. Because I have pictures of him on crutches at shows, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He broke, I want to say it was an overcast pit in Erie, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just like, the fuck are you guys doing to make your fucking legs break? I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Here's what happens, right? Depending on the venue and the crowd at the time, there's always going to be some jackass who brings their drink near the dance floor and the shit spills and the floor gets slippery and then mm. people aren't aware of that and then they slip and they turn weird. That's yeah. the number one danger. I hate when I like when I go to town ballroom, especially that's the number one culprit is always those people from far flung hamlets coming to see Haybreed. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like dude, dudes yep. from like from like some place you've never like Corfu or some shit, uh-huh. and they and they drove to this and they drove to Buffalo to drink milk, drink like light beer and watch hate breed and spill <laughs> it everywhere. They're driving home, like that's the worst part is they're driving home. Yeah, uh-huh. but it's just like y'all ruining it. The other the yeah. other situation that I hated when I lived at Hoyt House, we would have the drunk punks come through, and they would purposely spray beer everywhere. Oh, and like I was extra pissed back then because like I was like freshly straight edge. So I was and like and I lived house. It. And it was and it was my house. So like I was man Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it was it was a bad time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I still love that house. I got I got a little tombstone tatted after our landlord sold it. That's great. What era was that house? Like, were there shows that there were shows that house? Oh yeah, dude. We the biggest show we had was fucking Iron Reagan. Oh. Was that was that was that Hoyt near? Um, it was near um near North Forest. Forest near Forest. Yeah, because I, I think I went to one show there. I went to the um, I think Fuck You Pay Me played there, and I went I went to a show there. Yeah, yeah, and uh. Because Biff used to play there all the fucking time. Every band Biff was had, you would come through and play there. It was sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a cool basement. Like I think you had to walk, but then you have to like kind of walk through a room to get to where the bands were playing. Uh, Something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. So I remember. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh huh. Old Buffalo house shows. <laughs> so <laughs> many, so many houses that had shows. Yeah, yeah. So what's next, Chris? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? I don't know. What, what do you got? got? What do you got, son? Oh, I like I like how this is going though. It's not super, you know. It's not super generic like a lot of interviews can tend to be. <laughs> I like it. I like I like I like your directions and stuff. The field is there. It's just got to be farmed, man. <laughs> what for? For house shows? No, no, no. Just saying, like. Conversations that go beyond yeah. ABC questions, you know. Well, that's yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. Like in the in the in the flow of conversation, you're supposed to pay attention to the information being put out 
and yeah. respond in real time. Like you're not supposed to just have stock answers for shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Where did you yeah. record this? <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been a band? <laughs> yeah. Right. So what so what's Kill Uncle got going on? So I know you guys, um, you guys are playing a lot of shows and stuff, and it's yeah, it's... we're we're definitely trying to get more shows under our belt. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think when that's basically, I think we might have a show coming up in like February, March. Yeah. Um, aside from that, uh, we're probably gonna try and write some more material. Okay. Uh, that's really, that's really, that's really it. We're just trying to like get out, play a little bit more, yeah, and also write a little bit more, yeah. Because like, you know, our band like is full of seasoned individuals, you know, yeah. And between Billy and Dan, they both got kids, so it's like yeah. they're they're not really trying to you know do rock star type shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> Are you guys try- like? I mean, I know. You- have you guys played outside of Buffalo yet? Not yet. No, we definitely do want to get some out of town shows, but again, yeah, with family stuff, it's that's the main consideration is like yeah. making sure that Billy and Dan can, you know, take care of their families because that's the most important thing. Definitely mm-hmm. agreed. 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 So, um, you guys have out that uh. That that lathe. lathe cut. Yeah, that was so unexpected. Like that was like out of left field. Like we had no clue that was gonna happen. Yeah, but it feels good, you know, because now that we're we're label mates with with the heel, and they yeah. practice right next, and they and they practice right next door. Like it feels yeah. good. That's very cool. Yeah, that's awesome that they recognized your stuff and did that for you guys. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Irish Voodoo. Yeah. <laughs> Doing things. And shout out Buffalo. and shout out Eric Hughes and shout out Eric Hughes, man. Like Did he record his studios, he recorded uh, with, with, Yeah, that's where we recorded it. Um I like I like recording with Eric because yeah. like the spot is it's still very punk, you know what I mean? They used to have there was a brief moment where he was doing shows in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when uh, social divorce was still a man. Yes, you know. So like, I remember that we had a show in there with the skate ramp and the mm-hmm. the whole bit. But like, it was kind of a small room, but totally worth it. Yeah. Um. But I, I like I like his work. Um. I, I honestly I, I feel like I'm in the minority in this, but like I like recording way more than I like playing shows oh yeah yeah i I love the studio process i feel like that's an older person thing i feel like that's how that kind of goes well you know you said he's an old soul with an old spine so that makes sense (laughs) no but like even but even like back in even like from the very first time i got a chance to record in a studio i was like this is cool as shit you know and then when i first got to learn how to use pro tools myself I was like, this is dope. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I've always been enamored with it, but, like, I'm also not patient enough to be a professional uh, studio guy. Yeah. Like, I'm not patient enough to, like, 
do like radio level mixing and mastering like if it was up to me everything would get recorded and sound like extra lo-fi and shitty <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's not the way of the world anymore back in the 90s it was <laughs> unless unless you can unless you can deliberately make it sound that way yeah that's the that's the real skill now is like yeah. can you make it sound different can you make it sound compelling yeah you know like that's that's what i want to do definitely yeah that's definitely cool um so yeah so i don't know when this is coming out but um when is the next kill uncle show um I'm embarrassed because I dead don't remember. <laughs> Way so, to go. How was how was the reception to Kill Uncle Ben? Um, the kids like it. I was yeah. I was genuinely surprised. I think the kids like it because mm-hmm. we're we're not heavy, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, which I think is good. Um, I think we're we're definitely more of like a hardcore punk band mm-hmm. as opposed to a capital H hardcore band. Yeah. Which I think is something that I really feel good about leaning into. Cause mm-hmm. it sets us apart from the rest of the landscape, you know? Yeah. 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 Like, and even though I, you know, I try to like throw a couple little mosh parts in there. Like, I also know that like, we're not a heavy band. Yeah. Yeah. And no one, I think I'm the only person in the band that really has a soft spot for like knuckle dragger kind of riffs. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But but that's that's in my viewpoint, that's a a trap that people fall into that they think it has to be heavy to be a mosh part. It doesn't need to be heavy to be a mosh part. It just has to have that like rhythm. Yes. That's part. And and a lot of people get caught up like in the trap of like, okay, here's our mosh part. You know, it's like it's an arms race slowing down some shit. Yeah. Definitely. Have, like metal and hardcore oftentimes turn into an arms race of who's either gonna be the fastest or who's gonna be the heaviest. Right. You know, and and heavy doesn't we, always mean slow either. It yeah. seems that there's there's some thing where it's like, oh, if you're heavy, you gotta have this like slow riff. Like, no, like you mm. yeah, or <laughs> or even that it has to be super down tuned. Right. Uh-huh. Like that that's another uh convention that I'm kind of like I appreciate it, but only up to a certain point. That's why I never really got into deathcore. Cause mm, yeah. I thought I thought the 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 two things I didn't like about Deathcore was one the music was overproduced into oblivion like Mm -hmm. i remember i went to audition for a deathcore band because i was just desperate to play in a band and i'm looking at the gear that these dudes had and it was just like unreal like rack mounted everything Mm -hmm. they're digitally they're digitally editing their drums and their you know (laughs) i remember one time there was a, a local show at Casa at fucking Casa di Francesca's and these kids pulled up with like the fucking rack mount Kemper shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, like, I'm like my boy, like 
look at where you're at, bro. Like you're <laughs> yeah. like you're in the back room of an Italian <laughs> restaurant with thousands of dollars of gear yeah. to play the low string on your guitar for yeah. ten minutes. Like yeah. I need you to come back to reality for a moment, bro. Like yeah. this is not this is uncool. Did you ever listen to Fall Silent? I did not. Fall Silent's like a 90s band from Reno. And they were they were heavy without the down tuning sludge riff trick. Mm. Mm. Uh, Fall Silent was fucking great. I don't know how Word. you thought about Fall Silent, Mark, but I thought Fall Silent was fucking great. I didn't really listen to them. I mean, I know they existed and stuff like that, but didn't really. It wasn't really. They nice. they played. I mean, they played Buffalo a couple of times. I know the one time they played Buffalo, it felt like somebody was throwing bricks at my chest when they were playing. Yeah, they played this. I know they played Discovery, and they must have played some other places. Yeah, they played like some Tonawanda place too. Yeah. 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 Discovery was where it was felt like bricks were being thrown at my chest. What are you describing? <laughs> what are you describing? The bricks being thrown at your chest. Just their like false silence, like riffage and heaviness. Okay. You okay. know what band was like that for me? I mean, even though they were a doom band, but uh, when Sun Black Smoke used to play, mm -hmm. like that band was heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Like and loud. Hmm. Mm -hmm. They used to play in Erickson's basement. Shit was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So, um, we could try to like wrap this up a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, you're in a bus station. It's a crazy. Yeah, I know. Whatever. <laughs> I know from following you on social media, you you enjoy quite a few like um different types of uh like uh. I feel like you get a lot of different, like, unique beverages. Let's let's go with that. Oh, there. dude. Yeah, dude. So, this so, is, again, so, side effect of being straight edge. I had to, I had to swap out booze for soft drinks. So, 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 so give me, give me, like, a few, like, like, a few unique soft drinks that you're recommending in 2024. Uh, off, off the rip, uh, Manhattan Special. I'm a 100% diehard evangelist for Manhattan Special. What is that? Uh, it's an espresso soda. Okay. Oh. Uh, literally, it's just <laughs> it's literally just water, espresso, and sugar. So espresso being some kind of coffee being derivative. Well, so espresso is a is a style of preparing coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I I find coffee beans disgusting. I That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I as as a former barista. Uh, I have a deep, deep love for coffee. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been drinking it as much as I used to, but I'll always enjoy a good cup of coffee. You're um, saying that there was a Philly Oi band like five or six years ago. I'm forgetting the name. McGuire's Mob? Maybe okay. or Duffy's Cut, like something like that. Duffy's Cut. Was it Duffy's Cut? More than likely. Uh, and one of their songs had a line and it's something about like, I guess the song was kind of like blasting like poser skins or whatever. 
yeah and one of the lines was something about like you're selling my wife coffee or something like that it just, it just made me think of that yeah <laughs> oh man but yeah it's manhattan special off the top 100 delicious yeah uh, Another one that's really good. Um, there's this thing I got in Montreal called Brio. It's a Chinoto soda. Um, What's that? I don't know what any of those words are. <laughs> so a Chinoto soda, how? Uh, it's like it's like imagine a drink that tastes like a cola, but you but it's like just off enough that it's not a cola. It's it's so hard to describe yeah okay but it's it's very good um i like brio uh what else am i a fan of oh uh so when i was in new york um i went to this uh hong kong style diner called cha chan tang and there's this drink there called uh i'm gonna butcher the the chinese name of it but um it's like half milk tea half coffee mm -hmm. so good and usually you'll go there and you get like you know like a spam and egg sandwich and like a uh, little like toast with like sweetened condensed milk on it like Sick. i love that uh i'm a fan of bubble tea yeah uh, i like to get uh taro is like my go-to uh recently i started getting honeydew um occasionally i'll get the uh what's to call it like the thai tea like, style one um but mm -hmm. i i like bubble tea a lot yeah um as far as like like purely soda type so joints yeah. um i'm always gonna be an evangelist for fago rock and rye that's like the go. What is that? It's, it's, a it's rock all right. It's a little cough syrupy to me. <laughs> I, I, I rock when it's so heavy. Uh, rock, rock and rye is generally the fago that non juggalos go for. Yeah. Um. It it it's a little cough syrupy to me. Interesting. But speaking of speaking of juggalos, that that was the most like unpleasant experience I've ever had. Dog, I'll I will never do that shit again. Wait, what? What are you talking about? The gathering of the juggalos, man. Oh, you went. You went to that. I've yeah, I went. I went. I went. It was. It was. It was crazy. It was. Nuts. I feel like you can't go being straight edge. I like, did you it. Will not, you will not get <laughs> what you should be getting from it. <laughs> All I got was sunburned. <laughs> so, it so was, when did when did you go to the gathering? Uh, this past summer. Oh really? Oh, you oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What motivated you as a 35-year-old man who who is into worthy subcultures to go to the <laughs> gathering? So and I said that with full judgment. So the first thing that the first thing that motivated me was the fact that they were able to get the Sugar Hill gang to perform. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Um they also got arrested development. Yeah. Um, I will say, I will say that the gathering gets, from a purely hip hop standpoint, the gathering gets great lineups. Yeah, yeah this is true. Like the the juggalo culture, 
I sometimes think respects hip hop and rap more than a lot of times hip hop and rap people do. Yes, this is yeah. true. This is true. Yeah. But I will say this, uh, the, the most unpleasant part of it was just walking up and down that fucking hill all day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking for something to do, looking for somewhere to sit that wasn't in the blazing sun. Yeah. Uh, avoiding every, every like 10 feet, somebody's got a nitrous tank or, yeah. you know, and the, and the, the, the I was smart because I didn't camp because I'm not, I'm prissy. Like I, I don't do, I don't do the fucking being stank for fucking uh -huh. three days. Like I'm good on that. I had a hotel. Like I'm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the move. Yeah. Uh, but like it was, it was, it was definitely like just weird. That's mm -hmm. the best way I can put it. Like you gotta be a real weirdo. Like you gotta be like a real weirdo. Like you, like you gotta like they're on some. Imagine like if hippies came from Lockport. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, like, <laughs> like that's that's the kind of shit. Like, like Juggalo culture is like it's like Batavia. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? that's harsh. You know what I'm saying, like, because you because you know exactly what kind of area that is. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's not because it's not really country. They're not country. Yeah, no, no, and they're not suburban. No, no, they're yeah. So some friends of mine and I, and we're not going to do this here. Yeah, but some friends and I have played the game of which first generation hardcore people would have been juggalos if they came into it in like <laughs> juggalo time you know you know what i'm saying like it's it's been a fun game i'm not gonna do it here and i'm not gonna name names but yeah, it's funny you think about it you kind of be like oh yeah that, that dude would have been a juggalo <laughs> but nice. like i mean yeah the, the weirdest shit though <sighs> so a buddy of mine his band was playing a uh, freeze motherfucker they were yeah. playing and yeah. I saw a dude during their set. This dude was like moshing barefoot, butt ass naked on gravel. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do when the fucking feeling hits you. I guess but, so. But my, my thing was like, I was like, my boy, like, this is gravel and like dust <laughs> in like the middle of July. Like, what is like, like, are you good? Like, you know, not concerned. Some, some like, are you not concerned? That that's really that's fucking hard. Yeah. You know, other I people mean, might be like, "Yo, you good?" Like, yeah, totally. like no, dude. Like walking around barefoot like that, no, sir. Dude, mm -hmm. I, I used to mosh barefoot at the show place for a little Jug while. Juggalos are built different, man. They, yes. are, they, abs they absolutely are. Yes. Have you seen the? And we'll we'll kind of end it here, maybe. Yeah. Sure. But have you seen the video of that like weird kid who does the like? Power superhuman? elbows off the tables on yeah, the that, that kid's like, fucking weird. He's he's wild because he'll be like, Mark, I don't know if you've seen this or not. No. I don't know if anybody listening has seen this or not. Mm -hmm. He's this like curious little mole kid. And he like, this is for all the juggalos and juggalettes. Woot woot. And he like pulls his shirt off and he's like, pulling his hair. He's like, fuck this shit. And then jumps off of what the fuck ever. 
onto like copy machines or microwaves. Weird. Or whatever. And he's just like, ah, oh, laying on the ground for a couple of like, because oh, you know he fucked himself up. He just did a fucking Macho Man style elbow drop onto a goddamn yeah. microwave. You know, and and every video is like the that... plastic one. We're talking like a Seven Eleven industrial one, <laughs> and it's it's the same setup every same time. Setup. And you watch it every time. Sometimes it's barbed wire. Sometimes it's light bulbs. He, yeah. he says, "Don't don't try this at home." You know, like it, yeah. and like you just can't stop watching this. And it's like <laughs> Juggalos, man. On that, that note, wrestling, dude. On that, that note, <laughs> <laughs> Juggalos, man. <laughs> <laughs> so people want to find you online. Where do they look? Uh, so you can find me on, what is it? I'm not calling it the other thing. It's Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you can find me at leaving X Babylon. Um, you can find me on Instagram at leaving X Babylon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, the two primary places. Um, if you still use Facebook, uh, I still got my government name on there. Uh, trying to think what else is there um yeah i mean you i'm at shows like come say what up like all right then so thank you for coming out ricks thank you for having me gentlemen yeah thank you it was great get home safely do you gotta get you gotta gotta get another bus yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna hop on the the grand street bus and head to the crib We 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to run, 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 I'm gon